Welcome back to Single Minded, where we're flipping the script on being single. I have a special guest co-host today, my dad, because we just got back from a five-day hike with Intrepid over in the NT. So hi, Dad. Welcome. Hi, everyone. Hi, Hannah. (laughs) So just to give everyone a bit of an overview and a bit of a disclaimer, so Intrepid were kind enough to send Dad and I over to the NT to do the five-day trek on the Larapinta Trail. And in exchange, I'm doing all this content. But I've been begging my dad to come on the Larapinta Trail for years and he always just says he's too busy. But I guess a free trip came up and you said yes. Isn't that right? Well, pretty much so. But look, I think it's worth pointing out I wasn't your first choice. You weren't. I actually asked if mum would come. I'm really glad that she didn't come because she would have had to have been airlifted out. There is no way she would have slept in those swags. (laughs) She would have been crying most of the time. But that's because mum's very precious. I, on the other hand, love adventure and I just thought it was the most amazing experience. So we did two nights in swags and two nights in a permanent camp, but Intrepid are moving to four nights in a permanent camp. So you don't have to worry about sleeping outside. I think it would be for anyone looking for like a really authentic camping and hiking experience because... Firstly, you don't have to carry a big pack, but you just carry a day pack. Secondly, you get all your meals cooked for you and you do have a mattress. So it's it's authentic camping, but a little bit easier and more comfortable. And I would also suggest adding Uluru and Kings Canyon on the same trip because it's in Alice Springs. You fly into Alice Springs and so everyone else on our tour was doing the same. Dad, what did you think of the trip? Much the same as you. I thought it was authentic and the camping component was terrific Mm -hmm. even sleeping under the stars was pretty amazing amazing and yeah it was just staring up at the and we actually were lucky it was a new moon so we didn't even have a moon to brighten the sky that's true i mean well look we had some overcast weather but you can't help that either way it's uh, the, the scenery is stunning yeah the only thing that i had a little bit of trouble with was the idea of not having a shower I had a shower on day one and then didn't have another shower until day five. But I have. Look, I, I was going to talk to you about that. <gasps> I didn't smell. I have perfected my bush shower technique. It's so good. Basically, it would include twice daily undie change, and I'd basically go to the drop toilet and have a little shower. Did you change your undies at all, Dad? I thought you. Uh, you yeah, might- look, I actually, I actually did. I took okay. four pairs with me, and so yeah. I did change them. I used ten pairs of undies over five days. I was not worried by not having a shower. Like it didn't actually bother me. It's totally possible to stay clean even in the bush. I think didn't bother me at all. I washed out undies and compression stockings on um, one occasion, and uh, that got me through. Yes. By the way, speaking of my compression stockings, or socks as you call them, your mother has done the washing. Yes, and they've gone missing. Did you have anything to do with the disappearance (laughs) of one of my stockings? Like (laughs) I had a day glow yellow pair. The neon pair? Yeah. Yeah, the neon green. Which were, you know, they're like German-made, expensive Compression stockings. <laughs> I know you were making fun of them. Did you have anything to do with that? Maybe you left them in, you know how you had to put them in the bedding bag? Yeah, I remember that. It would be very likely that you would forget something like that. Look, I must admit one of the things about the trip, which I know is 
had a memorable effect on me, and this is how you can sort of tell, is that I'm still back there. Like I'm I'm still <sighs> thinking of the hiking and I'm still yeah, thinking of the too. scenery and the gorges and the water and, of course, you know, just the people. I mean, we didn't know any of them. We were really nervous on day one. We both yeah. said to each other, like, no one knew each other. Everyone was really mm. quite awkward by day one. No one really spoke for a while. And then by day five, we all went out to the pub for trivia and were like all besties. Totally. You can become so close to people after five days of hiking. I've only ever done one other tour. So for me, I was like, tour is actually a really good experience because you actually become quite close with the people that we've got a WhatsApp group with all of our hiking friends. Yeah. And they're a, they're a good group kind of mixed and you're right. You get to know them and it's a lot of fun. Now the content was the most important part of the holiday. Well, it's the most important part of any holiday. Would you agree? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> the holiday does not matter. Well, the holiday comes second to the content. That's my philosophy on life. Mm-hmm. So I want to read out some text. So basically dad and I got on the plane and I was asking him to take photos. I sent mum a photo. I said, I'm worried about dad doing content. He flipped the camera when I asked for a pic. So there's like 10 photos of the camera flipped because you weren't taking the right photos. And then you'd take one photo and it would be me with my eyes closed. And so we'd move on and it wasn't, we couldn't get any more photos because you'd taken one shit photo. So how did you, how do you think you went with the content? Well, I thought I did an extraordinary job. You did. All right. Admittedly, I cut off your feet and some of them were on the wrong yes, orientation. Yes. and Cut out the signs. And sometimes your eyes were closed, but none of that's my fault. I mean, you need to get your shit together and model better. <laughs> but no, you did a really good job and you even did the guitar, which I used for a reels. I used it as my background music. So that I- was cool, actually. The truck driver, Lenny, uh, yeah. had a guitar in yeah. the back of his truck, which he could play. And another person could play. So it was like, you know, kumbaya type moment. I mean, it, it, it was got to the point where, you know, I was walking down the road with blokes I didn't know talking about poetry. I mean, that's that's how much. Um, <laughs> and I think you were there, actually. I think you walked oh off. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know, it, it, it is a pressure cooker in that way. And I think that was a big part of the fun. Oh, 100%. What I would say, like for me, the I, look, I loved it, loved all the scenery, loved the hiking, but honestly, sleeping in the desert like that, because you walk for 20 kilometres and then I would get into bed and I would just be dead asleep by, you know, 9, 10 o'clock. And that is unheard of for me. And I slept so well. I sleep better in the bush than I do in my own bed. It's just that exhaustion feeling and then you just wake up so refreshed. I agree. Of course, at the end of the day, you mm. are tired, very tired. The only thing I'll say, Dad, is that you like to talk on hikes. I like to be quiet and it's Hannah's thinking time. That's my only feedback is, is that you're a chatter and I'm yes. dead silent. I like to think. But I I was giving you space. You know you were because you made friends. Yeah. You made a lot of friends. Yeah, that's right. So I was making friends and happy yeah. to talk to them. Phil. Dad and Phil were wearing the same outfit on the first day. Like they had matching orange T-shirts and hiking shorts, those ones that you zip the lower part of the pant off, which I cannot stand. I would never wear those. And you became fast friends after that. So you did give me my space. Well, we did, but 
he had his orange top on. But look, I, I didn't want to go too hard. I didn't want to overexcite the ladies. <laughs> but I did change into the black compression stockings. You, you, you looked better every day. <laughs> I was quite surprised that someone that's usually so stylish did not give a fuck about what you wore out there. You didn't match colours, nothing matched. No. You wore a Kmart hat, like you really did not care out there. Now, the last thing is that I can't actually quite believe this coincidence, but Intrepid have given me a discount code and I've been assured that this is a coincidence. The code is 691069. <laughs> So 691069 and you can use it by the 30th of June 2022 to get 10% off Intrepid small group adventure trips in Australia departing by the 14th of December 2022. Some exclusions apply so get in touch with Intrepid or your travel agent for more info and a big thank you to Intrepid for sending us on such an amazing dad-daughter trip. Highly recommended. On that note we're going to get into I'm going to get into my interview with Bianca Ismolovsky. So today I have a return guest, Bianca Ismolovsky. She is a comedian and a podcaster. She hosts the podcast Damsel Understressed, and she also has a new podcast launching. So go and follow her, follow her on Instagram to find out when that launches. We were just chatting about that offline. Sounds really fun. I'm really excited. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited too. Honestly, can I just say that your podcast is one of the only podcasts that I listen to and go, oh my God, yes, yes. Like I really connect very deeply to the content. Thank you. That means (laughs) so much to me. If you haven't listened, go and listen. And I was listening to an episode about your sexual awakening and I really, really thought, I just was like, it was so raw and honest and I just feel like so many women would get so much out of it. So I wanted to like delve a bit deeper for this podcast. So welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And also you messaged me at a really low point in my life. I was feeling so low. I was having such bad imposter syndrome. And then you messaged me and you were like, I listened to that podcast episode and it was amazing. And like, thank you. And you're doing such a good thing. And I was like, like it was just so like you have no idea how good it felt at that moment because I definitely get imposter syndrome as I'm sure we all do I do too the worst yeah Yeah. (laughs) and like I get it so bad about my podcast so I'm always so surprised when people like I really like it I'm like I should release more episodes I really really connect to it actually it like hits me it hits me hard yeah but also (laughs) in a good way yeah I think it's because I cry so much like I started it being like this is gonna be a comedy podcast and all I do is cry and unleash trauma and I think people are like yeah we relate to that we really relate and I don't feel I've heard anyone talk as honestly about this and I thought it was a really important topic so you talked like a bit about your relationship with sex before you had this awakening and you obviously stopped drinking and you talked about how you were how you would have to drink to have sex so I wanted you to go through a little bit of pre-awakening yeah so just before the awakening or, well, or just life you know, in the lead up? Like a summary of, of sex in the lead up, not all the way back to childhood. Okay, but, yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah, my sex life consisted of like not enjoying it straight up, just never enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And I was saying this to someone recently because I didn't have my first orgasm until I was 21 and they were like, well, that's quite shocking. And I said, but why? Like sex ed when I was growing up was – Women get periods, boys masturbate. Like, I did not know. This is how you put a condom on. Yeah, that's, you know, I wasn't taught about female pleasure. 
They told us. Yeah. They didn't even tell me about the clitoris. Like I used to make jokes. Like oh, men don't know where the clitoris is. I also did not know. Where the yeah, yeah, I didn't know yeah. because I just wasn't taught. Like I was taught, oh, you could finger yourself maybe, see how that goes. And I did and I hated it. And then I was just riddled with shame that I had done this and it felt terrible. And I was mm. like, well, I guess that's just something that I'm not going to do. So it was just always this thing like I'm not good at this. And sex was always for the male gaze. It was always, mm-hmm. is it good for them? Are they enjoying it? And I also was, I guess, ashamed of feeling sexy I was ashamed that I wasn't really good at sex. So, I yeah, I would use alcohol in order to have sex and then, of course, the sex Mm -hmm. was bad and then so many times I would have sex and not remember having sex or wake up the next day and someone had been in my body and I didn't know who and it was just shame upon shame upon shame. So I was just so ashamed Mm. and it Mm. was such a non-priority sex. In fact, I hated it, to be honest, because I just didn't Mm. understand it and I was afraid of it. So it was such a low priority and I just closed myself do you think, up. Do you think when you called, when you said the shame, do you think that because you were always drunk or you always had to drink when you did it, do you think that that tainted the experience for you overall? Yeah, it compounds yeah. the shame, I think, because if you drink, when you wake up the next day from drinking, you're already pretty ashamed. Like you, Anxiety. Anxiety, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a chemical storm. So couple that with sex, which as a society we have shame around still, Mm. those two things compounded is like, whoa, okay, just it's a whole lot of shame. And it's weird because obviously I did have sexual desires, but I could only act upon them when I was drinking and then I would act upon them only when I was drinking and it would almost always turn out to be a negative experience because I was drunk. So it was just Mm. a fucking mess. And it Mm. was really difficult for me to connect with myself sexually. Like I did masturbate a lot because I was, I actually have a lot of sexual energy, but I just couldn't get it across with other people. I would never have fulfilling sex. I would fake orgasms. It was just a mess. And I just suppressed so much of my sexual energy because it was just so shameful. And I was embarrassed and I just didn't know what to do. So then when I got sober, you were still married when you got sober, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I listened. That's another series that you did on We Want to Be Better. That's her other. That's Bianca's other podcast. It was the alcohol mini series. That's another one that you should go and listen to. Oh, <laughs> that was so good. I don't drink either anymore. So, like, I just loved that series. I'm so glad to hear. Thank <laughs> no, I sound like such a crazy fangirl. Well, I am. No, I love it. Like, uh, yeah, I, well, I'm a fangirl of yours. So, it means a lot to me to hear this. But yeah, so I was married and I never really had a a good sex life with my husband because I just wasn't there. Like I just was not present Mm -hmm. in it. And it was such a non-issue for me that we had a, didn't really connect sexually because I was just like, well, that's not my thing. You know, like I'll pretend to have a headache again and, you know, the classic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that was, it was just such a non-important thing. And sort of as a married couple, like were you having sex at all by the end or was that kind of like oh by the end absolutely not no like well actually no it's interesting and you were quite young so did you feel like a bit like did you almost feel like yeah I've just given up on this side of myself and and that's okay like yeah this is the thing like I got married at age 26 which it's so funny because I I look back on it now and I'm like that is so young but at the time I was like I'm running out of time fucking hell Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know and then when I tell people they're like wow you got married young I'm like Yes, I did. I really did, didn't I? But the leap of getting married was not really that big of a deal because being single meant having sex with 
people. Random people. Yeah, and I and I wasn't good at that. So it was like, oh, this is kind mm. of a relief. It's just one person and I can eventually get good at it. Because it's not like I never had good sex. It's just. Not connected maybe? Yeah, not connected. And it was like, oh, that was enjoyable, but I could take it or leave it. Okay. Yeah. Plus you had all the shame as well. And so like it probably was bringing up feelings like every time. And yeah. I did, fair dinkum, have a bit of a drinking problem. So that was what I prioritised. So I would be mm. drunk most of the time, to be honest. So we didn't really have that many opportunities to even have sex because I was a bit of a mess most of the time. So alcohol just kept me in a state of being numb, numb to mm-hmm. emotions in my body and sexual desires in my body and just my life. I was just numb to it. And when I got sober, I started to wake the fuck up and – it's interesting, and you would probably understand this about being sober, is that you have to relearn how to do every social interaction from scratch. You have to go to a party sober and you do get confidence from doing Like it's scary at first, but you get confidence once you do it. And I started taking sex on that way. I was like, okay, well, it's time mm-hmm. to do this sober now, I guess. Even though I had had sex with my husband sober, of course, it was never something that I was really even open to because I was like, oh, if I want to do something where I'm really wild or into it because I was, I think I was ashamed to look like I was into it or something because I was so ashamed of just having sexual desire because I'd been shamed about it my whole life and slut shamed quite badly. So I think it was just like, oh, I couldn't Mm. be seen to be enjoying this, so I won't enjoy it. But when I got sober, I was like, well, I'm going to be more present in everything that I do, including sex. And so we did actually start having much better sex and I was connected and I was enjoying it and I started to get a taste of like my sexual Mm. awakening it was a bit of a taste but at the same time my husband and I we got along really well as people but I think the sexual connection was never actually there which didn't matter when I got married because it was just not a priority so it was like a taste of a sexual awakening in myself and then when I met my boyfriend while I was still married. Well, can we can we just start there? <laughs> We're getting ahead. So when was the decision, like at what point did you make a decision like I am exploring my sexuality? Like did you make a decision when you got sober that I want to explore this? No, I didn't. And okay. in fact, like I still thought sex is not my thing. It still wasn't my thing. Okay. It was just like okay. a necessary part of life. I think my husband also hated that we didn't have sex that much because I was always like, okay. I just got a low libido. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did think I had a low libido, but it was just like the levels of suppression that I was experiencing. It was like out of sight, out of mind. I don't have sexual urges. I don't want to have sex. It's fine. It's just not my thing. It's just not my bag, baby. Like you kind of just delude yourself and push those feelings aside. But then, yeah, when I got sober, I was like, well, I am going to have to have sex because I'm in a relationship and that's an integral part of that. And I would, I did want to be good at sex. That's the thing. It's not like Mm -hmm. I never wanted to be good at it. It was just something that I did not understand. And so at that point, while I was married, it wasn't the priority still. It was just something that I was like, yeah, like I would like to be better at it. I want to see what the fuss is about, right? Because I people Mm. talk about it so much, but I just never really got it. Yeah. And okay, so you just briefly spoke, you said I had a boyfriend while I was still married. That wasn't cheating though. Let's get into that. Yes. So we had an open marriage for a brief period. So who whose suggestion was that? Yeah, well that's the thing. It was my <laughs> suggestion because I wasn't having sex with him. And this kind is kind of the, the end. Like let's give this final thing a go. Yeah, I think I had already checked out by this point. And I actually yeah. think it was my way of being like 
he needs to just get out there and realize I'm not his everything. Like let him learn what it's like back out there. And I guess as well, I was so disappointed in being married that I was like, I'd put all of my eggs in one basket and the basket turned out to be incredibly disappointing. Mm -hmm. So I felt so trapped, I guess, that I didn't want to leave, abandon ship and leave the basket. So I was like, well, I'll just put some eggs in other baskets and then it won't matter so much that this particular basket is so disappointing. (laughs) Such Mm. a terrible way to say that. But so I was like, yeah, maybe we could try polyamory. And also I'd always been interested by uh, non-monogamy. And Mm -hmm. I never thought I could do it because I was like, I'm a far too jealous person. I could never do it, could never do it. And then I thought, no, I think I'm ready to do it. Let's just do it because this relationship seems to be ending. Why not try it? Mm -hmm. And I just want to say that is absolutely not the way to try (laughs) non-monogamy. The relationship relationship needs to be very strong Strong. for it to work. Do Mm. not do it as a last-ditch effort to save your relationship because it's going to destroy it. But we gave it a crack and then, yeah, I met my boyfriend. And that is where the sexual liberation occurred really so all right let's hear about what happened well I met him and we clicked it what was that because you were sober this was the first person that you had sex with sober that wasn't your husband yes so what was that experience like oh fucking so (laughs) nerve-wracking and this is the thing and I also because I was so nervous about like I'd gone on a few dates by this point with other people but it was during like lockdown time really so you couldn't like bars and stuff went open. So everyone was just sort of walking. We're just going on walking dates still, still in that stage. But I don't think we were in lockdown at that point. Or maybe it was between. Yeah, it was. It was between. Remember when we were out for three weeks in 2020? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. <laughs> so I'd gone on a few like. You were scrambling walk- to find an intimate partner, clearly. Exactly. Yeah. It's like we're, we're running out of time here. Yeah. So I'd gone on a few dates, but they were just walking dates. And I never, I didn't even think. I was so naive then. I thought sex was something that would happen you know, like that's that, oh, you work your way there. Like it doesn't happen on the first Mm. date. And so I went for a walking date with Tiger and we clicked off really well and I really liked him. I had my my moon cup in, so I was like, we're going to be fine. Like Mm -hmm. nothing's going to happen. And then he invited me back to his house for a tea and it was the middle of the afternoon. So I was like, well, obviously nothing's going to happen. You know, I'm just going to have a a quiet cuppa and then I'll leave. He knew you didn't drink. Yeah. He also knew I had my moon cup in because as soon as I met him, we were walking and I was like, you'll have to excuse me. My moon cup just fell out. Uh, (laughs) Which like I could have just said, I need to go to the bathroom. It was literally like one of the first things I said to him was like, my moon cup has just dislodged. If you'll excuse me, we need to make it to the bathroom immediately. So I thought, oh, you know, this is going to be fine. And then I messaged my husband to say, just letting you know, I've gone back to his house for a tea. And he said, be safe. And I said, yeah, I'll drop Mm -hmm. you a pin so you know where I am. And he said, no, I meant use a condom. And I was like, oh, sex, that's not going to happen. Are you crazy? That's not going to happen. Yeah, that wouldn't happen because I was still quite sexually unexperienced, so naive. And then obviously, you know, Tiger made a move on me and we started making out. And I just shut it down immediately because I was just like, no, I I don't want to have to open that can of worms up like I I can't Mm. get into this like it's almost easier just not to explore it like it because the nerves you're sober and the nerves and the anxiety it's like do I jump into this fear and just it's kind of easier just to stay on the sidelines exactly and also like that was the first person I'd kissed for five years like I've been married how was the chemistry it sounds like it was it was insane oh it was insane yeah like (laughs) uh, the first kiss not so much because I was just like like he's like coming close to me on the couch and that's the worst bit the the lead up to the first kiss you know where everyone's awkward on the couch and you're like waiting for a (laughs) lull in the conversation and 
I was like, I'm out of my depth here. I don't know what I'm doing. Anyway, he kissed me and I immediately went to a place of I'm not into this because I can't be, I can't do this. And mm-hmm. then he was like, no, it's fine. Like we could just make out if we want to. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be an end game. And I was like, oh, okay, like that takes the pressure off. That's okay. So we went to his bedroom and started making out. And I think by not having the pressure and also being into him and we had this really great chemistry, it was really freeing and I had like my first ever sexual connection with someone. You know, we we fooled around, but obviously I still had the moon cup in. So how crazy that your first date after I know that's insane to me that that was like handed to you in like, a lockdown. Oh, crazy, like, it was a miracle. He was literally a fucking miracle, and I was crying because I was like, I had no idea I had that in me. It was like discovering mm. this new person of me, and then. We hadn't even had sex, right? We had just like had these magical orgasmic experiences without even having sex. It was <laughs> such an incredible experience. And our sex life was just beyond what I could understand. I'd never experienced anything like it. And I just awoke this part of was me. Was he sober during these experiences as well? Yes, yes. He wasn't sober, but as in like he would go on dates with other people and he would drink. But with me, yeah. he wouldn't, obviously, because I didn't drink. And I think that that usually encourages people to be like, you, well, I won't either. Do you think both of you being sober? Because, like, I guess when you're sober, you are very present in that experience. This is the thing. He he was such, like, it really was a miracle because I was not only sexually stunted and closed off, and he's very sexually open and explorative, but he's also, like, you know, a very like conscious person. So he does a lot of like meditating and a lot of yeah. inner work. So he was helping. I was learning from him about like a sexual awakening, but also an emotional awakening. And so it was an interesting thing of. Sounds like a spiritual awakening, just, just included sex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was a spiritual awakening. So like it was interesting, I guess, because while he wasn't sober he was sober a lot of the time because he was a spiritual person and so he was awake and in tune with his feelings and stuff as well so you then obviously ended things with your husband and then you moved into a um ethical non-monogamous relationship with the tiger yeah how did how did that go because when you've got such a strong connection with someone because he was your boyfriend yeah well he was not my boyfriend at at first like he was Hooking up with other people. Mm-hmm. You knew about it? Yeah, and I knew about it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I knew. Did you care? Was that hard? No, not really. <laughs> no, okay, yeah, this is what happened. At the very first beginning, he was very open in telling me, like, you know, I've got a date tonight. Mm-hmm. And it was fine because, as well, I was married. So I think, mm. obviously, he felt fine in telling me that. And that is also a policy I do have now, I guess, like I tell people, I'm like, yeah, I've got a date tonight when I'm on a date with someone. I don't get like, whatever, you know, I'm an open person. So no, I didn't care because I was married. But then we went into stage four lockdown and he and I became intimate partners. And that was Mm -hmm. when we really, like I fell in love with him. And at that point, the stakes were a little bit higher. Then when we got a little bit less out of lockdown and you could see people, he did sleep with someone. And at this point he was not my boyfriend. And he called me and told me that he had sex with someone the night before. And I was surprisingly okay with it. Like part of me was really upset, but then the other part of me was like, ah, but what we have is so special that I genuinely Mm. don't think it matters that much. 
I, I was trying to wrap my head around it too because I was like, why don't I care? Like I'm, in, I'm so in love with him. And I think I realised mm. it was because I had given up on marriage and this idea of – You had gone from one extreme to another, a monogamous marriage to ethical non-monogamy, yeah, open relationship. And I think the thing is back in the day I used to get jealous of someone just looking at my husband <laughs> – <laughs> I'm like, why don't I care that this boy that I am in love with has just slept with someone? I think back in the day when someone would look at my boyfriend, it was almost like a threat that like, oh. To your self-esteem. Not just like my self-esteem, your- but like to my future because I would envision okay. a future with this person. Whereas now I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't envision a future. Like I don't think this is going to last. I don't even want okay. it to last. I don't want it to be forever. So if this person was to come along and absolutely blow your mind and it was over, then it would be over. Like I, the stakes aren't so high that my whole life is banked on you, I guess. I yes. don't know. I really don't know. But, yeah, surprisingly I was okay with it. And maybe also because you wanted to go and explore your own sexuality as well, so you kind of got to let them go so that you can also go and explore that. Yeah. I mean I the thing is though, and like I look back on it now, I was still so afraid of sex. Like I had unlocked okay. this thing with him And I was so reliant on him about it. Like I thought, oh, I have this and it's amazing and I'm magical and it's great sex, but it's only with him. And I was still quite shy and scared about doing it with other people. And so while he was out sleeping with people, I wasn't really doing it. But I wanted the freedom and the ability to be able to do it if I wanted to. And so did you start? When when was the point that you went? I I didn't start for ages. I was like just on the apps (laughs) and I would get people messaging me for a date and I'd be like, can't be bothered. I'm not interested because I was so nervous. And it probably wasn't until January 2021 I slept with someone else. And the sex was like, meh, but I was so proud of myself that I had done it, that I had like Mm. met a guy. I was like, do you want to come back to my house? And then I made a move and – while the sex wasn't as great, I was present the whole time and I took care of my needs mm. and I like stated what I wanted. And I was like, well, that is what I wanted from this. Like I'm getting better at this. I'm doing it. I'm getting good. Then I think the sexual awakening, it just kept occurring. It just kept getting bigger and better. Yeah. I'd be interested to know what you think the ingredients are, knowing that experience with Tiger, what would the ingredients be of like this, because you you call it magical sex. Yeah. What are the things that sort of contributed to that? Physical attraction, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I do think to have some level of rapport. I wouldn't say I'm demisexual because I do have sex with people that I like don't need to be like emotionally attached to, but I think- you know, liking and respecting the person does help. (laughs) So, you know, Mm -hmm. having some sort of emotional connection can help. And I think having genuinely a safe space of an understanding Mm -hmm. male partner where you feel okay to speak up about what you want, which I do think most men would be okay with. I just think because Tiger was so sexually explorative and so open with his feelings and emotions, it allowed a safe Mm -hmm. space for me to be like, hey, I'm quite nervous. Hey, this is my first Mm. time. Hey, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. That vulnerability. Yeah. Allowing that vulnerability. And I think it's difficult because sex is this thing where everyone kind of thinks, oh, well, Everyone should know what they're doing. So we don't speak up enough. Mm. We don't feel okay to talk about it. We don't communicate enough. And the lack of communication, I think, leads to unfulfilling sex. Also, you know, I will say the younger generation, I don't think got slut shamed as badly as our generation. Mm, Agree. Much more sex positive. I think talking to 
the younger generation about sex opened my eyes so much. I was like, oh, right. It is okay to just be sexually free. Like they just have such a different mindset towards it. And it was really lucky for me to get to meet all these different people through sexual experiences and sex groups and stuff where people are just sex positive and there Mm. isn't a shame about it. That has been really liberating for me because I did have a lot of shame that I had to work through. Mm. And so I know you and Tiger, I listened to the episode you and Tiger broke up. I had just listened to like the episode where you two were on it together and then I listened and then I was like, oh, so what happened? (laughs) I will say like we're still best mates. We talk all day, every day, and I see him probably more now than I did when we were together. But I say it out loud now and it sounds so obvious, but I probably shouldn't have gone into a long-term relationship immediately (laughs) after having been in a five-year relationship and a marriage. And, you know, I don't see myself as a relationship person. And I'm like, yeah, I'm super independent. I'm not a relationship gal. And then, I don't know, I think I was having a conversation with Tiger and I said, you know, I'm not a relationship person. He's like, yeah, no, you're not. And then I realized since 18, I'd only had one, two and a half year stint where I'd been single. And I was like, what? Like, that's yuck, gross. Like I need time alone. That's really Mm -hmm. not the person I want to be. I don't want to be this person that's constantly tied to someone. And I think that just weighed in on me that I was like, I really do actually need to be single. It's It's the time. And you know, I, I love him and he's given me so much, but I was like, it's really not fair of me to be in this relationship with you when I need to go out and learn and be on my own and stand on my own two feet. So we broke up. Yeah. But again, still best mates. We live around the corner from one another and see each other all the time. So yeah, it just was time to end. Still having not, but not sleeping together. Okay. For the <laughs> time being, but I am certain and sure because we're like, well, surely we're not going to throw that away, right? Like we will reconnect. I think at the moment it's just making sure we get to a place of being friends and making sure the feelings mm. of love aren't there. I've definitely made out with him a few times and maybe, you know, have. <laughs> I love how messy all this is. I, I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean. He's, yeah, like I want, I definitely want to have sex with him again. Uh, and I, and I yep. think he wants to have sex with me again. We'll just wait. But I think that's smart until, yeah, those feelings. Because we've yeah, only been broken up for three months. So I think it would be messy to sleep together now uh, while we're trying. And have you, do you feel that you found that sexual connection that you have with, had with him? You're obviously single now. Are you looking for that? Have you found it? Yeah, like this, I got to tell you, I've got such great luck. So I I was, I went back to after having sex with him and having sex with quite a lot of people during my relationship with him, I thought Mm -hmm. I'm so sexually awakened. I'm a sexually liberated person. I talk about sex all the time. And then I got single and I kind of panicked a bit because I was like, can I do this without him as like my champion? Because he also used to Mm. tell me I could do it, right? He'd be like, yeah, like you should Mm. make a move or you should do this. And so I didn't have him there and I was incredibly horny and I was like, I'm going to have to do this. So I hopped on field and I put my feelers Mm -hmm. out there and the first guy, I was like, do you want to just come over? Um, We had incredible sex and he's really great in bed. We have a great sexual connection and I've also had sex with other people since then. So, And that was also really good. So I realised like, oh, it wasn't just tied to Tiger. I can actually do this on my own and that has also been mm-hmm. really great, learning that as well and learning that I can have 
great sex with people, even if I'm not that attracted to them sometimes. Like there have been some that I'm like, oh, I'm not even that sexually attracted to you, but let's make some sexual magic. And we do. So yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing actually, like to see how far I've come in such a small amount of time. And my final kind of question on sobriety, how, how long have you been sober for now? Oh my God. It'll be three years in June. Oh my God. Wow. And do you feel like this hurdle has really helped you stay on that path? Because I can I can imagine when it was like you got sober and like the fear of this. Because, yeah, like a couple of drinks always makes first dates. Mm-hmm. I think the perception is that it makes it easier. Yeah. I've been on dates where it's just like they cannot get over the fact that you don't drink and they just want you to have a few drinks to like loosen up and like relax. Do you think that this kind of helped you to stay on that path? with sobriety? Yeah, I guess, yes. I don't think there's any desire in me to not be sober. Like I definitely want to be on that path. But yeah, my life has improved so vastly in the positive by being sober that, yeah, like I think this is the thing and I, I try to explain it to people when they're like, oh, why don't you drink on dates? That's when you should drink. I'm like, because at its core, a date is looking for connection. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for a connection if if it's romantic, sexual, or just like a basic human connection. That's what it is. And alcohol Mm. really gets in the way of that. Like even if you have a good time on a date, it's not an authentic connection. And so when I go on a date with someone, they generally won't drink and they genuinely almost always have a better time because we actually fucking connect. Mm. And so it is kind of backwards to me to go on dates and be drinking because I used to go on dates all the time when I was drinking and that was the worst. I fucking hated Mm. dating because these dates, like everyone was so boring and I was just putting my worst foot forward. I don't even know who these people are, so what am I bothering for? And now when I go on a date, I'm very present. They're usually very present and it's just an actual connection. And as well, I can leave a date knowing I don't want to see them again or knowing that I do and being able Mm. to just listen to my intuition instead of being like, oh, that was all right. Like when I was drunk, it was just a big fucking mess. I didn't know Mm -hmm. how I felt towards them. Literally, if they wanted to see me again after I drunkenly embarrassed myself, that was it. That was all I needed. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. We can do that again because you weren't so turned off by my terrible behavior. Great. So at least it's not like that anymore. I will say like on the sober journey, it's a very societal thing, especially in Australia. Drinking is synonymous with dating and like it's maybe not for everyone, but I remember being unmatched by someone because I was like, oh, I don't drink. And they immediately unmatched me. (laughs) My Um, God. Yeah. (laughs) So I do feel like if you are sober curious, I feel like one of the harder things is to be more comfortable in that setting. And then once you've done it, I totally agree with you that the connection is not that like I think for people that only have like a couple of drinks on dates, you know, one drink an hour or something, they're still pretty present. But like if you're getting drunk on dates or like and also like you're meant to be nervous. And so that's just drowning out the nerves. Yeah. You're just drowning out the thing that you're meant to feel. You're meant to feel butterflies. You don't want to drown those butterflies out. So I do feel like if you can, once you get through those first couple of dates and you start to connect with someone, it's honestly, it's a beautiful experience to be like 
totally lovesick is the probably the word to use. <laughs> like when I think of 2020, I think of just the emotion that I felt over Tiger. Like I was unwell. I physically could scarcely mm. eat. All I could think about was him. And I and I had not felt yeah. like that before, but I was just so hyper awake to my senses and my feelings. And it's interesting what you say about you're meant to feel butterflies. Like you are, I don't know why we as a society are like it's it's terrible to feel nerves it's like you should be feeling nerves if you yeah. are meeting someone who you don't know that is a new experience like you're wondering like do I like this person is this a safe person is this a safe person that is something that's very fucking important on a date why yeah. we want to oh, lower so our true. fucking inhibitions to be around someone that might not be safe is actually beyond me like you want to be able mm. to feel these emotions and yeah you're right when the emotions are good and it's lovesick and it is actually quite sickening but it is really beautiful and it feels <laughs> really good um, that early stage of like the first month I think for people listening, like, savor it. Don't try to, like, numb it out. All right, Bianca, thank you so much. Such a good chat. Always great to chat to you. So I'll put all the links to your podcast and your Instagram in the episode notes so you can go and check out Damsel Understressed, which Bianca dives into all of these topics in much more detail. So go check it out. Thank you. So, Linda, I'm going to guess you're not going to comment on this topic. Oh, my God. I've got so much to say, though. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You misjudged me. But I do want to just say one thing because I didn't know what imposter syndrome was. So if anyone else out there was baffled as well, I will tell you that it's loosely defined as doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud, it disproportionately affects high-achieving people who find it difficult to accept their accomplishments with many questioning whether they are deserving of accolades. Surely not you, Hannah. I definitely have imposter syndrome. I had never heard of it. Yeah, I for so long I was like didn't want to call myself a content create like because I was just like who am I who do I think I am (laughs) no one cares about anything I have to say like I wouldn't even do solo single-minded episodes to begin with I'm like I don't have anything to say no one wants to listen to me Mm. so Bianca and I have talked about that offline as well Mm. anyway anyway so yes listening to her talk about sexual awakenings I had to revisit my youth and I am sure you do not want to hear this, Hannah, but here you go. I don't want to hear this. Are you sure you want to say this? I am absolutely. All your friends listen. That's all right. Okay, go for it. So I had my sexual awakening at 16 and nine months. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, I have spoken about him before. My boyfriend of the time and I had been friends for years, so we knew each other very well. Are you sure this isn't just your losing virginity story? Are you sure this is this your sexual awakening story? is 100%. Story? <laughs> okay. God, okay. you really? You don't believe me. <laughs> so um, we were very comfortable and, yes, I was a virgin. I can't remember but I think he was too. Anyway, he wrote me a lovely letter which I have dug out of the archives. I went through four boxes. Oh, my God. And it was at the bottom of the last one. So I'm going to read oh, it to you. Oh, no. Uh, ah, okay. <laughs> So it is dated 12th of December 1977. Dear Linda, I was so happy that what happened on Saturday night finally happened and continues forever and ever. Oh, gosh. (laughs) 
it's not funny. It's so sweet, but I'm laughing. I might get the giggles. I would love to take you out to dinner tonight. No excuses accepted. So please ring me before 6 p.m. Lots and lots of love. So I don't know whether we're... Wait, so is that what he, he means forever and ever? Like yes. if you guys said we're together forever. Forever. We're going to be life oh. partners. How cute. Oh. It, <laughs> such a... At almost 17. Almost 17. Yep. So I don't know whether we went out for dinner, but I actually just Googled that date. It was a Monday. So no ability to text after Saturday night. I had to wait until Monday for a letter to be hand-delivered. And I was just thinking he was very lovely and he was in love with me, maybe just a tiny bit more than I was with him. But anyway, (laughs) he was my perfect first, what do you call it, sexual awakening experience. I'd say that's just, I don't know that that's an awakening. I would would call that losing your virginity. So anyway, but A for effort that you went through four boxes. (laughs) Can we... Can we get some more love letters read out from past lovers? Oh, well, you see, I only had two serious boyfriends before, Rob, and I did when we moved house. I threw out a lot because I just, you know, you don't want to revisit. I've kept a few. All right, I'll find another one from the other boyfriend. (laughs) But, yes, you're right. I think sexual awakening comes at all ages, and I do want to mention Kourtney Kardashian who has had, seems to have had a massive. And and Kim. (laughs) Oh my no, god! So I think I think Kim was already awoke. No, no, no. <laughs> she she <laughs> awoke. Okay. She was awoke. Speak English. No, because she said in that latest episode, she said, which was so poor Kanye, but she said you meant to have the best sex of your life in your forties, mm. and she was like, yes, like saying that she was having the best sex with Pete well, Davidson. Uh, I think she's been very in and touch. She was de- she, do you know how many people have messaged me on Instagram saying, because I reposted that scene from the Kardashians, and people said, what's DTF? And I'm like, how do people not know what D- – do you know what DTF means? DTS. DTF. No. D- oh, yes, down to fuck. Very rude. Fuck, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I just do want to revisit Courtney because she is 43 and in the mm. old series, if anyone watched it, she was not affectionate with her partner, Scott, at all. No. I don't know how they had three children. Oof. But it just felt like she was physically and emotionally cold for about 10 years. Yes, and yes, very true. he was a bit unstable and pretty immature, but now she is so confident and so expressive, almost overly sexual with hubby Travis. Yes, very so sexual. So something has clicked. She says some pretty outland. What about in the fertility clinic where she's like – too full that on. That was pretty R-rated. I know. I have to say too full on. I would say I probably had an awakening in Thailand mm. because I've never been comfortable sleeping in the same bed as someone. Maybe when I was really young, I don't know, maybe. I, I just I just like my own space. And And the thing is we didn't even know each other for that long and I was just – I don't know. Sexually awakened. (laughs) That's sleeping. That's slightly different, I think. (laughs) Well, I don't really want to get into the details with you on the call. No, we won't go there. I do not want to hear about that. But, yeah, no, we had a good time, I would say. (laughs) And then last year, Brooke Shields. Do you know Brooke Shields? Yes, I do. Thick eyebrows. 
thick eyebrow. She was, yeah, she's been around forever since she was about, I don't know, 15. Brooke Shields mm-hmm. admitted she didn't have her sexual awakening till her 40s either. So wow. she said, sex for me has really evolved because each decade was a different season of life. In my 20s, I was always terrified of it because I was a virgin until I was 22. My 30s okay. wasn't about being sexy. I think what she means it was you know, having her children, that went on for 10 Mm -hmm. years. And then in my 40s, I started thinking of sex as my experience, not someone else's experience that I just navigated. And she credits husband, Chris Henchy, for supporting their sex journey over the two decades they've been married. I do have a wonderful husband who celebrates me and has loved me at every stage, which I'm very blessed by. How cute is that? And they've been together for a while. so cute. That's really cute. I like that. Well, well, no, I've got one more thing. Oh, shit. Okay, go. <laughs> I've really done my research on this sexual awakening, <laughs> okay, Hannah. Okay. <laughs> so I am going to plug something that's not out yet. It's a new Hulu original movie coming to cinemas in August. So it's a bit of a way off. And I've watched the trailer and it looks brilliant. It's called <laughs> Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. Uh-huh. And it has Emma Thompson, another older lady, plays. Oh, I love her. Yes, she plays Nancy Stokes, a retired religious studies teacher whose husband has died and after much deliberation has decided to book a hotel room and hire sex worker Leo Grand for oh. the night. She tells him oh. she's never had an orgasm and as <gasps> their initially awkward oh. encounter progresses, it says together they find a surprising human connection. So that sounds great. That sounds really good. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any movies that, like, I think that movie, It's Complicated, Meryl Streep and Alec Baldwin. Oh, yes. Having it off. Yes. That was a great yes. movie about. As in they were. They were. Having an affair. That was such a good movie. But they'd been married. Is that the one? They'd been married and divorced. He had a young yes, wife and then yes. they started having an affair. Yes, yes, yes. That was great. Watch that again actually not that long ago. And I'm trying to think of some other movies that depict older people having sex, sexual relations. I can't think of <laughs> Well, it's sex, sexual awakenings. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's been fascinating. Okay. Thank On you. On that note. Thank you, Bianca. <laughs> <laughs> we will be back in two weeks. If you made it this far, I'm hoping that you enjoyed the podcast. If you could subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review, that would be much appreciated. It really helps other people find the podcast. Not that I'm desperate or anything.